Whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you are producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden, and we are here on The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super thrilled to have our next guest. We have Joe Demon, who is the co-founder and chief relaxation officer of Yellow Leaf, and their first product is the hammock, and we'll get into sort of the rest of their company, but you may have seen him and his co-founder and wife on Shark Tank. And it was an incredible episode. And uh, my friend Daniel Lebetsky was also um, on Shark Tank, um, not actually pitching, but actually looking at different companies, including Yellow Leaf, and invested, put a million dollar investment 
into Yellow Leaf. And Daniel, for those of you who do not know, is the founder and CEO of Kind Snacks. So Joe's co-founder and wife, Rachel Connors, started Yellow Leaf, which is a lifestyle brand focused on relaxation and driven by positive impact. And they initially started making hammocks, but they have a few other products that look really, really, really cool. Um, So these products empower people to practice daily relaxation and to live their best, most stress-free lives. I can speak from personal experience that these hammocks are amazing and impeccably hand-woven and super, super soft too. And uh, I fell asleep yesterday afternoon (laughs) on one. So uh, thank you so much, Joe, for... uh, for sharing that with me. And if this isn't enough, the company also is committed to creating high-wage jobs for women in rural Thailand who uh, weave many of these hammocks um, by hand. And the team's goal is to empower artisans to lift their families from poverty to the middle class. We're going to hear a bit more about that. But thrilled to get to speak with you today, Joe. So welcome. Yeah, thank you, Carol. Wow, that is probably the best intro I've ever had. Woo-hoo! So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I'm absolutely pumped to talk to you. Big fan of Hint and everything you've built. Thank so you. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Thank you so much. Well, so let's start at the beginning. So I'd love to hear more about <laughs> Joe as a kid. Did you did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Were you always perceived as you know the creative one that went and Crazy one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In short, yeah, absolutely. I always knew I was going to do something on my own or wits like found, find, do something great with my life. And I guess part of that comes back to uh, my childhood. So I came to the US as a refugee from the Soviet Union um, and grew up, I guess, you know, having literally my my family came with, I think, like $100 in two suitcases, that kind of stereotypical story. but it shaped everything about me and growing up without a lot of economic means and watching my family go through various challenges and always having to sort of provide for myself um, has it just put that entrepreneurial bug in me. And so, um, you know, I didn't expect to run a hammock brand or a relaxation brand necessarily. Um, and I was on a totally different track, uh, more in commercial real estate development, building communities. Um, and, uh, but here I am. So a lot of that, I definitely attribute to, um, just having kind of these, I guess, unique circumstances and, um, really grateful for that as well. What was kind of your, your inkling in in what you would ultimately be doing when you had to work? I was definitely more on the finance track initially. Um, just kind of looking at how can I make money, you know, coming out of college and being very, financially driven, you know, wanting to have a foundation, not having had that growing up. So mm-hmm. that was very much a big driver for me. And as I got into, I got into, I became passionate about real estate development and building communities. And I went to school in Chicago where I had access to some great firms and experiences there. And early on in that experience, I um, got to see how green building and all these sustainable aspects of the real estate world actually would impact the bottom line. And that was kind of my first I guess, um, intro or introduction to fusing profitable business with impact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, amazingly it led me to where I am now. And I guess I would attribute that by having 
come in contact with other entrepreneurs, other product-based entrepreneurs, maybe a couple of years before Rachel and I started Yellowleaf, where we got exposed to some founders who were sharing their stories, you know, in a similar way as I'm doing now. And it really impacted me hearing that they were able to create product-based businesses that also did things in a way that was, um, you know, changing an industry, changing a community. And so all of that, you know, kind of led to the serendipitous moment where I actually came across the opportunity to start Yellowleaf. It's so interesting. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including 
the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Interesting listening to you talk because I I feel like, you know, your parents certainly inspired you and uh, being able to, you know, create a better life for you, but then also just meeting people along the way who were doing things, you know, maybe things that you really hadn't thought of that you really hadn't seen. And you thought it was, you know, great that they were able to create something and sell something along the way that was, you know, really uh, driven by something that they created. But I think that the key thing that I feel like I'm hearing from you too is that it's your journey, right? Along the way. And there's pieces along the way that really make up what you ultimately end up doing. Right. And, and so um, anyway, really, really fascinating. So I've read The Origins of Yellow Leaf, and it's a pretty crazy story involving elephants um, and a secret map and a 600-mile cab ride. Can you share a little bit more about that? I guess I'm an, an adventurous traveler, but uh, we were I was backpacking with some friends in Thailand, actually visiting one of my childhood friends who had been living there. And um, midway through our vacation, sitting on uh, on the beach in the morning having breakfast and took out a local travel book that had a story about all the places to visit on the island and that there was a map that was being distributed at a little hammock hut on the other end of the island. And naturally, I loved hammocks already. So I was intrigued and I wanted to go explore. Hopped on a motorbike, zipping past elephants and kind of being in this really beautiful, exotic place, coming across um, this little hammock shop. And I came in and I was immediately struck by the quality of these hammocks, um, not thinking anything about starting a business or anything like that. But more of a, as a consumer, I had been looking for hammocks and I was familiar with the poor quality and kind of from a product standpoint and uh, basically started asking some questions about where these were from, you know, thinking that I'd buy some and heard this amazing story 
of the Malabri tribe, which is Asia's last hunter and gatherer tribe. Hmm. And in Thailand, there's over a million and a half hill tribe members. Um, and I was familiar with, you know, challenges in the developing world with extreme poverty and, you know, environmental destruction, things like that. And the story I was told was of the Malabri and how they had overcome um, indentured servitude and were able to break free from, from that by creating a product that they can sell and just in this one little shop. And that allowed them to lobby for their citizenship gain civil rights, like already had this transformative impact. And they realized this was much more than a hammock. Um, this was an amazing product that I learned wasn't necessarily being sold anywhere. Um, and it was creating this like transformative, transforming livelihoods. And so it was going above and beyond kind of a traditional charity model where things are just given out. And I was very intrigued by that. Actually, I'd been, um, I guess part of the side story to that is I had been planning to go to business school and I was in the middle of preparing for that. So I was, had this kind of like case study mindset. Um, at the time while traveling. And so I was really intrigued and I decided to ditch my friends and I took a 600 mile cab ride to the village uh, to go uh, meet the people who are making these hammocks and hear their story and just see it, not really thinking that I'm going to start something, but just very intrigued and curious. Um, and when I got there, I learned that they, the whole community was eager to sell more hammocks and they were there was basically in Thailand, there's a rainy and dry season and half the year they had no sales because there wasn't any tourism and they would inch their way upward economically and kind of go back at the second half of the year. And people would be hiking as far away as like the Laotian border to this one village asking to make hammocks because they heard how much money they could earn and, and how well they could be treated. And they were being turned away because there weren't enough hammocks. And so at the time, I just simply thought, I did some rough math and I was like, if we could sell 2000 hammocks, we could probably provide enough income in this community to permanently break the cycle of poverty. And it was like a very naive thought like that. Came home super excited to my then girlfriend uh, and <laughs> threw down a bunch of hammocks on the bed and was like, I'm starting a hammock company. Come, let's do this. And I she was it. very, uh, she was definitely the first customer and I uh, forced me to really sell her on it. And um, but that's initially how we started. And the inspiration just grew out of this little kind of naive thinking, curiosity and wanting to um, do something that can make a difference. I love it. So great. So what does being a mission-based entrepreneur mean to you? There's certain things we just can't sacrifice. You know, we the mission was baked into our existence before even I came into the picture. You know, this initiative was started to provide people a path out of poverty to empower them to change their lives. And I felt like I came in and had the chance to scale that into something that would be sustainable for generations to come. And so uh, I guess that's a long winded, winded answer to that question, but it's, it's, we're driven, I guess, by deeper purpose beyond just making money. But we recognize that being financially sustainable is what makes us mission sustainable. Definitely. Well, and I think that anyone who's ever worked at or founded a mission-based company uh, has a really tough time uh, not doing that in the future because you feel like you can actually uh, create jobs. You can uh, do something that helps consumers often, all of those things that I think are really, really critical. So um, I, I love that about 
your company as well. So you and your wife, Rachel, are the co-founders. Did you always want to work together or (laughs) did this kind of happen by accident? Definitely more by accident. Um, We, it just kind of naturally came together. Um, We didn't start Yellow Leaf immediately when I came back. It was something that we had started testing and, you know, we didn't quit our jobs right away. And so over the course of the next few months after returning home, we just started working on it together. We just found ourselves working together. You know, we bring a really similar skill set. Um, we have an amazing chemistry and we're really fortunate that it, we were aligned in, on, on this early on. Um, but we just started moving forward and ultimately, um, you know, we had a slow growth trajectory. So we slowly built up and, and found ourselves running uh, and starting the brand together. Um, and it was very organic. I love it. Very, very cool. How many people in your company now? Oh, well, we are still quite lean, I would say. Um, we are so on the production side in Thailand, we last year we had 200 full time weavers. Uh, we got to two, 225 weavers recently, and we're going to be ending the year with a team of 400 weavers working full time over there, as well as um, another, uh, a few people kind of overseeing production or the original aid workers over there who is overseeing everything on the ground um, from a operational standpoint. And then here domestically, Rachel and myself, and we have one other operations person and customer support team, uh, which we call our hammock concierge. Um, And the rest of our kind of core functions have been to this point outsourced um, to various contractor and agency partners. um, And we're definitely at this phase now where we desperately need to scale up the team because we are, we've all grown ourselves. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. So what's been one of your fondest memories and, uh, and growing yellow leaf? I would say going back to Thailand and visiting our team there is always such a positive experience. And it, it's a great opportunity to step away from, you know, it's easy to forget, even in a mission-based business, that there's this impact that you're creating. You're also often into spreadsheets, into you know budgets and reports and all the things that any, any other business has to do. Um, and then going back and seeing how every single hammock purchase makes a difference, and like our weavers there being completely ecstatic that people are buying their products, and like see, having that connection to the the maker is. It's something that is really hard to explain. And I, I really encourage everybody, even if you're not in a mission-based business, get in touch with your, your, where your products are coming. There are people on the other end. And it's really amazing to see just the, the whole through line in the supply chain and how it's impacting culture, humans, people. And I think for, for me to um, be able to do this, what's a dream job and be able to return back to the place where it all started is um, always, you know, brings back memories of, everything I experienced, which I can still like the founding story for me is still so vivid. And so going back quite often is um, something that keeps me grounded and present in, in, you know, why we started and where we are today. I love it. Motivation. I love it. So what do you wish you knew when you started? Uh, You and I briefly were chatting about Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur is not all glamorous. Uh, Definitely, Mm -hmm. there's some hard stuff that comes up along the way, especially when you're getting started. Is there there anything you do differently? I definitely see how a second-time founder 
is so much more wiser now. And if I were to do everything again, um, it would it would be different. And I'm not saying that, you know, I think I have to learn the things I learned. And the, you know, some specifics, I guess, would be how are we going to fund the company? At what point are we going to launch a product? Being a little bit more strategic um, rather than just jumping into things, you know, could have helped us, I think, um, defining roles and um, probably bringing in outside help. You know, that's something that we should have done earlier for sure. Because for a while, it was Rachel and I working out independently. And there were, I think, lots of people in hindsight that would have been willing to come work for less money or, or equity or things like that. And we, we hadn't really taken advantage of that. We, we were just kind of siloed and um, learned a lot of lessons kind of the hard way and how to work together. And um, I think building that team sooner is really important. Um, and definitely a, probably one of the biggest lessons. I think we would have shaved off a couple of years uh, in our journey um, had we, you know, reached out to others to join us um, would have been, you know, sooner, a positive. <laughs> Interesting. So you appeared on Shark Tank in 2020 and landed a deal with uh, kind founder Daniel Lebetsky. So how has that changed, changed kind of your, your life? Um, also, <laughs> the partnership with Lebetsky and how has it impacted, you know, sort of the the growth of the business overall. Yeah, it's been uh, it's it's just unbelievable that we ended up on Shark Tank closing a deal with an investor who is who has been such a great partner to us. I mean, I never imagined things would be as well as they have gone as well as they have just because it's it's exceeded our expectations working with Daniel and his his team at Equilibra, which is his um, startup incubation mm -hmm. tank and his um, investment company, and um, you know, to be prior to Shark Tank, we had been very bootstrapped. And, you know, there's uh, bootstrapping has it's a double edged sword. On the one hand, you retain equity, you get to do things your way. On the other, it, it's a lot harder. You don't have the resources and you're kind of you can find yourself in this sort of uh, poverty mindset where you never have enough and you're constantly kind of struggling in a way versus that prosperity mindset where you have a safety net and security. And so getting our first significant investment of a million dollars, you know, by some standards for a consumer business, that's not a ton for us, not having had anything before had been really impactful. And it allowed us to take more and greater risks that have since paid off um, versus kind of taking this more risk averse approach before. Um, and I think we also got really fortunate that Daniel is a true impact investor and he has built businesses with social um, impact first. And also he raised, I think he raised something like $5 million to grow kind and, you know, become a $5 billion company. So, you know, he had like to us that spoke um, really closely to what we were about, you know, not raising a lot of money and building a really big impactful business that um, would be at a similar scale potentially. And so, you know, just to give you a, idea of yellow leaf before and after shark tank as well we had been more of a kind of a 50 50 wholesale and um, direct to consumer business uh, prior to shark tank and the uh, investment from 
Shark Tank allowed us to make a really big pivot towards direct to consumer. And we grew well over a thousand percent since that's awesome. Uh, in just the first year um, uh, since appearing and really pivoting our business in a, in a way that Daniel's team helped guide. And, um, you know, he's opened up everybody uh, at Equilibra to us as a resource. And so um, it's been uh, it's been like rocket fuel, honestly. Uh, That's amazing. You know, we had product market fit, I would say, heading into Shark Tank and then getting that many eyeballs and then getting the support of an amazing investor and his team, everything kind of transpired to allow us to lift off, you know, even more and quicker after. So we've been just trying to keep up since. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that is such a critical thing that you just said that many entrepreneurs, especially early entrepreneurs and first time entrepreneurs kind of don't know what they're missing because I think getting somebody who has been a founder who has been through um, mm-hmm. the road, their road might be a little bit different. They might be in a totally different category, but being able to open doors, um, being so many investors that, you know, they may look like they're going to have, you know, lots of uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they're, you know, if you can't open doors um, for you, if you can't sort of like, help you figure out like hard things in the puzzle. Mm -hmm. I think that um, it's just a very different situation than what you're going through. So Daniel's amazing. And I know he's done that with some other uh, brands that we've had on the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that that, that's a, you know, shout, big shout out for Mm -hmm. him, but also sort of, you know, if you are an angel investor, I mean, that is something that I really think, if you can, you should, right? And yeah. and I think often founders don't know what you don't know either. And I think just sharing your story and sort of where the, you know, challenging points are, I think Daniel probably was able to piece those things together and say, hey, how about a connection to so-and-so? Or have you thought about doing things this way? Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is so valuable, so valuable. Absolutely. His authenticity is is 100%. I mean, I can I can gush over Daniel and our relationship with him for hours. So I mean, it's truly been amazing. Like we uh, having a mentor like that has been um, also fantastic. Uh, and I, one thing that I, I learned prior to Shark Tank and having talked to other founders and kind of thought about fundraising um, for for years, and you know, to some extent, we did go through a small fundraising uh, attempt, I guess, um, prior to this, and. I learned that, you know, I think I want to remind other founders, especially in that we're also giving something of value to the investor, the investment firm, whoever is investing. And, you know, we have power as well. And in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's more powerful, you know, being in our shoes. And it's, it's not like, you know, someone's investing in you. It should be a very equal partnership full of support. And, um, I just would always remind myself that what we're doing, you know, this is our ship. You know, we're bringing on resources. We're making a decision to bring somebody on, totally, not because we we need funding or anything like that. Really right. approaching it from the standpoint of um, less about hey, we need money, we need money to grow, we need money to do this, but more of this is an opportunity. Like we really want this person, and you know, we you know we did diligence as well, and 
um, it was important for everybody and it created a, a stronger partnership now. Well, and I think it's, you know, for Daniel, I'll speak for him. I mean, I'm sure investing in a category that he's never been in, he was curious, right? And mm-hmm. so he is learning, but he's also tapping into the fact that you're doing things in parts of the world that maybe he hasn't touched. And so he really yeah. wants to not only learn, but create impact. And I think that more and more investors are really looking to be able to um, understand things, but also create some kind of impact. So I 100% agree with what you're saying. So so I always ask guests about one of their challenging moments in building the company where you know you faced a challenge, you just thought, okay, we're done. Maybe it's supply chain, maybe it's production, maybe it's fundraising, and uh, maybe it's a recall. Um, you know, all of these things. I've heard it over and over and over again. I'd love to hear that story from you. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are many challenges, constant challenges, and that's what makes it fun. But the for us, you know, so the financial side of starting was a challenge early on because we decided to, you know, we built up a, a vertically integrated artisan supply chain from the ground up and versus placing purchase orders with a manufacturer or a factory. And that put a great strain on us in terms of um, having money constantly to make sure we, I mean, we were bringing people on and we, once you bring somebody on for us, it wasn't an, it's not an option to then lay anyone off because there aren't sales. It was really critical for us to um, make sure we were capitalized to do that, but we did not raise any money to start. We, you know, started literally with, I brought home 10 hammocks. We sold those hammocks at a local market. We bought 20 more then we bought 50. And for the first year we sold like every hammock almost face to face. Um, but it was still never enough and we couldn't really start the company and quit our jobs. Um, and just getting off the ground was a challenge. Um, uh, we won a business contest, kind of entered into every contest we can get to give us a little bit of a boost. And we finally quit our jobs. And what we learned early on was that we needed more money <laughs> and we couldn't mm-hmm. raise more money because who's going to invest in a hammock company at the time we thought. And we, um, Continued to grow really slowly over that year, ultimately having about 15 weavers full time. And when we started looking at maybe raising our first equity round, um, we also looked at what are some alternatives? And we started to get really creative. And instead of, we were talking to an investor who was prepared to maybe make a $100,000 investment, angel investor. And we decided to actually change that to a revenue-based repayment, which is not something that... like We basically just started thinking outside the box. We realized instead of raising money you know, as a product-based business, we have product. We can sell that product. If we can sell it fast enough, we can continue reinvesting. And taking this revenue-based repayment approach um, allowed us to get out of that where we could invest in our weavers. And for the first time... Um, know that we had constant inventory mm-hmm. coming and not kind of go through this back and forth. And we we took that model um, with to a few different investors. And you know, once we had track record with one, we built up um, a little bit of credit history and could go to somebody else and say, look, lend us $100,000. And you know, 8% of revenue daily sales 
we'll go towards repayment and here's our history. And it was kind of an easy ROI for the investor. Interesting. And I was just, you know, I How did seen you a think lot of, of that. that? I mean, I haven't seen a lot of it. Yeah. It was, I mean, I just didn't want to give away control knowing that, I guess we were really protective of um, not having any mission creep or bringing somebody on that could kind of try to steer us in a different direction um, and really wanting to retain control until we got to a certain point where we can think more clearly, be more educated about what kind of partners to bring on. And so, and I knew that we had product and I knew that we had good margins and had built a, a good foundation. And, you know, it just occurred to me, and I guess if you don't ask, you won't know. And, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's not like it was the first person that we came to, you know, we definitely had to knock on doors and, and build some um, relationships through going to conferences and especially in the social impact community um, is kind of where we started and in the impact investing world, um, seeking kind of support there. Um, and that's, you know, but it just took some creativity and, and showing that we had the, the demand to be able to sell, to be able to repay. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and we also started with some less money than we needed on purpose. Um, we wanted to kind of repay early. We wanted to show, um, you know, build that positive history and then be able to come back for more. And um, actually, one thing that really um, changed for us, probably the biggest impact um, in terms of kind of getting out of this cycle of having money tied up in inventory and then having a, you know, not, you know, going through these cycles um, was our partnership with Kiva, which is um, an international nonprofit that works to um, bring capital into communities, uh, into underserved communities and provide uh, microfinance um, in all over the, all over the globe, oftentimes in really remote areas. And um, they uh, approached us about becoming a, um, a, an experimental partner at the time. At the time, they focused mainly on um, supporting large microfinance institutions who had a network of people who did not have access to capital and they would provide micro loans and Kiva would do the underwriting and then you could crowdfund that loan on Kiva's website. And they realized at the time that there were growing a number of product-based businesses that were focused on the artisan sector and that those companies like Yellowleaf also had access to people who did not have access to capital. And so for us, it allowed, um, it's a kind of a, a very, I guess, innovative financing vehicle that spun out of, you know, our initial revenue-based debt approach. And that it, we were able to crowdfund loans for our weavers that would secure a, um, a given period of income for them. That's work. amazing. And that would give us money to be able to essentially have inventory for a set period of time. So we no longer have to worry, is there, are we even gonna have product to sell? And our weavers did, didn't need to worry whether or not they were gonna have an income over 12, the coming year or however much time they wanted. Um, and it gave them the freedom to do all sorts of things. And you know, one of those things is actually was breaking away from slash and burn agriculture, no longer working um, in that, uh, in that you know, space and, um, and yeah, it was it was an incredible uh, approach that we kind of just 
stumbled into it sounds like yeah, and, yeah, yeah that's yeah. amazing well i and uh actually you you reminded friend of mine is actually running kiva now uh no okay. chris yeah mm-hmm. so um i should get him on the show to talk a little bit more about what they're doing and and sort of how yeah, the company has should. changed so that's amazing so mm-hmm. last question what kind of entrepreneur do you want to be known as uh known for like what what is your legacy? I mean, it, what's your wish? Uh, like, what would you like people to remember you for in terms of, you know, what you have done? I, it's not even, I hate to make it even about me. I really just want to show that there's a different approach to capitalism. I think, you know, I'm not the first to take on this approach, but I think if we can build a brand that is globally recognized, um, focused on superior design, and changing lives or the environment or both, I think that has the potential to really redefine our, you know, humans on this earth. And I and I really just want to build a business that does that. I love that. No, that's something that is more prevalent in the world. Yeah. No, I absolutely love that. So well, thank you so much. And where do people find uh, the yellow leaf hammocks? Uh, where's the best place? Our website absolutely is the best place, uh, yellowleafhammocks.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at yellowleafhammocks. Um, and, you know, give us a shout out. And uh, we're always uh, just thrilled to bring more people into our community. And uh, hopefully, you get a chance to try one of our ridiculously comfy hammocks. Yeah, well. they are so, so nice. These days. Yeah, super, super great. So, well, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Joe, and I really enjoyed the conversation and hearing a lot more about your company and your journey for sure. And uh, the 600 mile cab ride, still can't believe uh, that is a, that's, that's a wild story that you'll never forget. Uh, so you're such an incredible entrepreneur and, um, I really hope everything goes great for you guys. And thank you again for just, just coming on and sharing the journey and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we hope you loved this episode. Please give it five stars and definitely, uh, download the Kara Golden show and subscribe so that you're sure not to miss any of these incredible stories from founders and CEOs and authors as well, talking about lots of really, really interesting, cool stuff. Uh, But just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you haven't already picked up a copy of my book, it's also on Audible. It's called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, talking about my journey in building the company that I founded and led called Hint. And we're here every Monday, Wednesday. We just added Friday as another day uh, so that we can continue to bring amazing stories to people three times a week. Uh, So thanks everybody for listening and have a great rest of the week. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much, Kara. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. 
For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.